We're opening up to Daniel chapter 6. The book of Daniel in chapter 6. Uh, we are continuing to work our way verse by verse through this book of the Bible. And this morning we come to a chapter with one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. Uh, those who have never been in church in their lives often know of this particular story. The story of Daniel and the lions. Daniel and the lion's den. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, be sure to use one of those in the seats in front of you. Uh, you'll find our passage this morning in those Bibles on page 743. Uh, page 743. Well, lions are among the most dangerous predators on earth. Uh, in Tanzania alone, an average of 70 people are killed each year by lion attacks. Uh, back in the summer of 2015, a 29-year-old Canadian woman named Catherine Chappelle was taken for a drive through tour of a lion park in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, Ms. Chappelle was known for her work in graphics editing for movies uh, like Divergence and Captain America, Winter Soldier, and she was taking photos of the lions on this drive through tour uh, in order to raise awareness about protecting these animals. But as she was taking these photos, her window was down. And while on the tour, a lioness leapt into the vehicle through an open window. The driver was mauled and seriously injured, but Catherine Chappelle was brutally killed. Like so many Bible stories, we often desensitize the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, we try to make it kid-friendly, even toddler-friendly, but the danger that Daniel was in was very real. And we should remember the fact that there were many who held to their faith in later years, and were fed to lions in Roman Colosseums. And for these Christians, there was no rescue, but bloody, torturous death. And so we need to take off our children's storybook glasses, and we need to come to this story as if we've never heard it before. We need to confront it as the raw thrilling history that it actually is. And as we do so, may God speak to our souls and may He do us good. We're going to spend the entire Lord's Day on this chapter. We'll make our way through verse 13 this morning, and then we'll pick up in verse 14 and go to the end tonight. So let me give you the outline for this morning's message uh, first, in verses 1 through 5, we'll see an example to imitate. Second, in verses 6 through 9, we'll see two snares to avoid. And then in verses 10 through 13, we'll see a pattern to prioritize. So an example to imitate, two snares to avoid, and a pattern to prioritize. And then we'll end our whole time this morning 
by pointing to the greater Daniel, the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at first at verses 1 through 5. Uh, verses 1 through 5. And this is the very word of Almighty God. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so Babylon has fallen. Okay, bye-bye Babylon. It's the Babylonian Empire has ended. The days of King Nebuchadnezzar, the days of King Belshazzar are over. Now Cyrus of Persia is ruling the Persian Empire. Sometimes we call it the Media Persian Empire because there was a coalition of Persians and Medes. And so it's no surprise that we find Darius the Mede ruling over this part of the empire, the city of Babylon and surrounding areas. Uh, we saw last week that just before King Belshazzar was killed, he had promoted Daniel to a very high position. Well, King Darius now chooses to keep Daniel in a high station. He appoints Daniel as one of three men who are overseeing 120 satraps through whom King Darius is going to rule. So this, this high station made Daniel something of a manager. Uh, we are told that these satraps would give an account to him of what they were doing, how they were spending the funds, for example, that were allotted to them for their role, so that the king would suffer no loss. Uh, Daniel was to make sure that the accounts were adding up. Daniel was to protect the king's interest and to hold these satraps accountable for the governing work that they were doing in the name of the king. And as a man of integrity, you can imagine that this meant trouble for crooked politicians serving under Daniel. Uh, these satraps would have found out very quickly that Daniel, unlike many in the Middle Eastern culture, he would not take a bribe. Daniel was going to uphold his office, and he was truly going to hold these satraps accountable, and that meant that they began to despise him. But King Darius loved him. Uh, in fact, Daniel did so well in this role of holding these 120 satraps accountable that Darius determined to set him, Daniel, over the whole kingdom, uh, perhaps similar to the role Daniel had once held under Nebuchadnezzar. But the satraps would not have this. Uh, they conspired together to bring this good man down. But how? How could they get Daniel out of their way? 
we are told that they could find no ground for complaint with his work, that he was faithful. And so as they schemed together, it was determined that the only way to bring this man down was to use Daniel's God against him, to use the law of Daniel's God against him. So what an example of faithfulness we have here in these words. Imagine, if if others around you were actively seeking to bring you down, would there be some obvious wrongdoing in your life that they could use against you? Is there some obvious immorality, some obvious unfaithfulness, some obvious blot in your character? That if your maybe fellow employees wanted to get you fired, they could use against you? Or would they find you to be without fault? Now, not perfect, not by any means. Daniel was not a a perfect man, but he was a faithful man, a man faithful in his responsibilities. He was a man who operated with financial integrity. Uh, They could not accuse him of mishandling monies or embezzling funds for himself. Daniel was a man of relational integrity. He was fair to the people he served. He treated those above him and those under his authority with respect and with righteousness. Though they looked, they could not find an obvious stain on his moral character. And so if we examine ourselves, what do we see? If you were to put your name in to serve on the board of some important ministry or some important community organization, would there be a reason why people would be uncomfortable having you serve on that board? Would the people that you approach to be references for you have to politely decline because they would be uncomfortable recommending you for that position? Friends, sometimes we spend so much time trying to identify the little sins and flaws in our lives that we miss the obvious ones. What would those around you point to as an area of your life where you need more growth and more grace? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, then you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ to this world. And Christ has saved you just as you are. And Jesus has loved you and continues to love you just as you are. But his intention is not to leave you just as you are. His intention is to grow you up. You are a block and he is a sculptor and he is sculpting you. He is making you different than you have been in your past. And so now as you wear the name Christian, the name you took upon yourself in your baptism, and as you live in this world, everything you do reflects not just on you, but on your Savior. And so in light of your love for Jesus Christ, what are you actively doing to turn from those sins in your life that are most obvious and blatant to the world around you? What are you doing to ensure that you can be called a faithful worker? That you can be known as someone of both financial integrity, but also relational integrity? That you can be said to be a faithful friend by those who know you? 
I pray that anytime anyone meets a member of Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, they come away thinking, now that's a person of integrity. That's a person. I can take them at their word. That is a person of unusual principle in our unprincipled culture. This is a person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and loves righteousness and loves his neighbor. Isn't it interesting that in order to bring Daniel down, these men had to look to the law of Daniel's God. It's as if they knew this one thing about Daniel. They didn't know anything else. They knew this. He's going to follow the law of his God. If we need to predict what he's going to do in the future, we can guarantee this. He's going to obey his God. Let's use that against him. These men decided to use Daniel's allegiance to his God against him. If you have enemies that are actively seeking to bring you down, would they be able to count on this as they schemed against you? Would they be able to say, well, I know this one thing. We can use the God's law against that person because that person is not going to disobey Jesus. He or she is committed. Mount Hermon, we've been promised suffering in this life. We're all going to suffer. It will come. But it is a good thing when we suffer for doing right. It is a good thing in the eyes of God when we don't get that job or when we lose that friendship because we stuck to our principles and did what was right. Too often, we suffer for doing wrong. <laughs> Too often, we suffer because God is bringing discipline upon us. We're, we're reaping the painful consequences of our poor choices and our sinful actions. But when we suffer for doing good, we are following in the very steps of our Savior. The apostles rejoiced when they suffered for doing good. They, they considered it an honor. They wore that badge of courage proudly. Uh, it, it said, they said, it has been granted to us. It is a gift, they said, that we get to follow our Savior in suffering for the sake of righteousness. How have your principles cost you? How has your commitment to doing the right thing cost you in this life? Do you know what it is to suffer for doing good? We should imitate the example given to us here. Uh, one more note before we move on. Uh, see how hard it is to be a principled politician. Uh, E.J. Young says on this passage, an honest man of conviction in the midst of government politicians stands out like a fair flower in a barren wilderness. It is rare to find political leaders who are men of integrity or women of integrity. Uh, today, there are some in our local, state, and federal governments who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are trying to truly be faithful in the roles God has given them. Uh, in the last week, we've seen uh, now President Trump appoint at least nine men and women who profess to be born-again Christians. Nine in his cabinet. That's very different than under our last president. You can imagine the temptations that these men and women are going to be on, be under, to use their power, to use their influence for selfish gain. Um, 
The temptation towards corruption is heavy on those who hold high office. It is not hard to become corrupt when you're powerful. It's easy. If you just go with the flow, you will become corrupt. It's the way our flesh just naturally runs. It takes work, it takes conviction, and frankly, it takes a whole lot of grace for someone in a position of high power to remain a person of integrity. And so we need to be committed to pray for our political leaders. Yes, for our president. Yes, for all of those who serve us as civil servants in this land, but especially for those who wear the name of Jesus as they fill those offices because His name is at stake. His glory is at stake. And whether or not they remain faithful or become corrupt. So an example to imitate. Number two, let's see two snares to avoid. Look at this in verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, now King Darius is very soon going to regret this decree. Uh, These leaders in his government approach him. They, They urge him to sign this decree, making it illegal for anyone in his realm to pray to anyone other than him for 30 days. And those who broke this law would be sentenced to death by lion. A couple of notes. First, understand that in the ancient world, kings were often seen as divine incarnations of gods. The idea of praying to a human king was not at all unusual in the pagan Middle East. Just as they would pray through images and idols to petition the gods that those images and idols represented, so it was often assumed that the king of a particular area was a son of a god, that a divine spirit was being given to that king who sat on that throne, and that prayers could be made in the name of that human king that would be answered by the divine god that that king represented." And so throughout these 30 days, people were not to pray through their images or their priests or their various other gods and goddesses. They were to pray in the name of Darius. This is a violation of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And therefore, Daniel could not conscientiously obey this new decree. Second, Don't be surprised by the unusual punishment. It was actually very common for the kings and governors of the ancient world to collect for themselves wild animals from various parts of the earth. Uh, We we even have records of animals like polar bears sometimes being found in the menageries of Middle Eastern kings. 
uh, the animals that you had as a king became something of a status symbol. And the more diverse and rare the animals were that a king had, the more powerful he was seen to be. And of course, what ruler could resist entertaining himself by feeding criminals to his animals? Uh, Death by lion did not begin with the Romans. Uh, It was a practice that had been uh, going on in the Middle East for a long time, and the Romans simply continued that practice as they conquered that land. So what are the two snares for us to avoid? Here they are. First, don't we see here the snare of flattery? The snare of flattery. After all, this decree is suggested by the king's subjects as a way to honor the king. What could be more flattering to you than to have every member of your kingdom praying to you and in your name alone? Who could have a more exalted position than this? Moreover, these leaders came to the king and they claimed that that everyone who is anyone wants this to happen, king. Your, Your governor, your satraps, your prefects, we're all together. We want to honor you in this way. Who could say no to this? Whose ego wouldn't grow big when those who are under you come to you with a proposition like this one? Mount Hermon, let us beware the trap of flattery. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Spreads a net. And isn't that what happened here? King Darius is a fan of Daniel. Darius likes Daniel. But through flattery, a net is being spread for his feet, and the king is about to get caught in his own decree. In Romans 16, Paul speaks about those who cause divisions in Christ's churches. And Paul says, Such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetite Listen to this, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. How do they deceive? How are people led astray? By flattery. Uh, How often have we seen people fall into this trap? Uh, Their friends, their true friends, are loving them by telling them what they need to hear. But there are others who are simply flattering them affirming them, tickling their ears. And so often these flatterers are considered the true friends, while those who are really trying to speak the truth to them are considered as enemies, even though they are the true friends. We must be careful not to fall for that, church. Every one of us in this room is susceptible to thinking that flatterers are our friends and not those who love us enough to tell us the truth. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Tis an old maxim in the schools that flatteries the food of fools, yet now and then your men of wit will condescend to take a bit. Jonathan Swift, Mount Hermon, we should not take even a bit of this deceitful poison called flattery. But then second, we see here the the snare of rash decision. The snare of rash decision. Because surrounded by these men, his ego being all buttered up, King Darius appears to have been 
quick to grant their request. In fact, from the language that we just read, it seems like these men had already written the document. And they come, document in hand. It's already written out, and they come to the king saying, establish this injunction and sign the documents. You ever been in a situation where you were being pressured to sign on the dotted line when you haven't had time to pray about it and you haven't had time to think through it or seek counsel? There was a lot at stake here. Once this decree was signed, it could not be undone. Think about our U.S. Constitution. Our Constitution can be amended, but nothing that is ever written into the U.S. Constitution can ever be removed from it. Once it's there, it's there for perpetuity. Well, King Darius' situation is more severe than that. It's more like the Roman Catholic Pope. According to Roman Catholicism, when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, when the Pope speaks with the full authority of his office, he speaks as Christ's representative on earth. And therefore, what the Pope speaks ex cathedra is supposed to be infallible. And this has caused problems in the history of the Catholic Church. Because what happens when the Pope speaks ex cathedra and declares something to be infallibly true And then later it's decided it was actually a mistake, an error, bad counsel. This is part of what sparked the Reformation. People were beginning to see how different popes contradicted themselves, even though their declarations were supposed to be infallible. Well, similarly, King Darius, like most Middle Eastern kings, was seen to speak the will of the gods. So once he made this decree, he couldn't just turn around and, and, and change his mind. It would hurt the dignity of his office. It would undermine people's belief that he speaks the divine will. Once his signature was on the document, the decree must stand. In their eyes, it had divine authority behind it. And yet, as huge as all of that is, there is no sense in our text that King Darius asked for even a moment to consider, to seek counsel, to think about this. Friends, we must be different. Christians are called to be sober-minded. We are called to be a careful people, a thoughtful people. We are not to be hasty. We are not to be rash. How many of us have experienced buyer's remorse Because we signed the dotted line and then woke up the next day and regretted that major purchase that we had made. How many people have been hasty, rushing into marriage, rushing into a job opportunity, rushing into some financial investment, and later lamented that they had not been more careful, more prayerful, and sought better counsel? Several years ago, After suffering buyer's remorse for something we allowed ourselves to get pressured into, Crystal and I made an agreement that we would never make a major decision without sleeping on it first. Prudence would suggest that before any major decision is made, we should always pray, we should always seek wise counsel, and you should always sleep. Give it time before making that big decision. And then trust God to lead and guide your steps. You say, Justin, that sounds all well and good. Is it biblical? 
Are you preaching God's word here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. How often do we have a desire and act on that desire without all of the knowledge that we need? How often do we act hastily and miss the way that we actually ought to have gone? Proverbs 21.5 The plans of the diligent will lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. What is the path to poverty? Hastiness. Rash decision-making. What is the path to abundance? Diligence. Proverbs 29.20 Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ouch. Right? That should be a warning to us. Let us beware being hasty. And then finally, in Luke 14, we have these words of Jesus. Jesus says, Which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Our Savior saw this as a common sense kind of principle. But of course, our Lord knew as well as we do that common sense isn't as common as we might wish. And all of us are guilty of being foolish at times. So teenagers, kids in this room, hear this lesson and be wise. If you will take to heart what I'm telling you right now, this will save you heartache and pain in the future. Do not be hasty in spirit. Do not make decisions when you are caught up in emotion or when you are caught up in being pressured by others. Rather, let us be careful and thoughtful and sober-minded. Okay, number three, a pattern to prioritize. So King Darius signs the decree. Let's see how this plays out. Verses 10 through 13. Verses 10 through 13. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Did Daniel know what he was doing? Our passage says, yes. He was not out to start a revolution. He wasn't trying to rebel against King Darius. But it had been his practice to pray to his God 
three times a day there in the, that upper floor with the open window, and he would not let any new law change this. Notice that he did not play any games here. Some would have said, Daniel, it's just 30 days. God will understand 30 days. Just, just stop praying for 30 days. When it's over, go back. No reason to put your life in danger here. 30 days will go by like that. Others might have said, just pray with your window closed, Daniel. Just close the window. Keep your prayer life hidden. No one will know. But Daniel knew better than this. It had been his practice to pray with his window open towards Jerusalem as a sign of his, of his longing for the welfare of his homeland. And if he suddenly did something different during these 30 days, people around, they would know. They would know that his allegiance to his God was less than his allegiance to the law of the Medes and the Persians. If he changed his practice, it would declare to the world that his God is not worth standing for, or in this case, not worth kneeling for. The worth of his God was on the line here. Sometimes even the act of praying takes courage. Maybe it's taking a moment to say a blessing over your meal in a public place. Maybe it's that moment when you sense that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for someone. Maybe they're sharing their concerns with you and you just, you just sense, I need, to, I need to stop right now and pray with this person. But, but maybe you're in the workplace. Maybe you're out in public. Maybe you're embarrassed that others might see you praying. Certainly there are nations still today where being caught praying in the name of Jesus can mean death. We've seen Daniel's courage before. So what I want to note here is something else. I want us to note what made him the man that he was. The great man of courage was at least partially this. His life was marked by a pattern of prayer. Three times a day. Three times Daniel stopped whatever he was doing and he spent time with God. And I simply want to ask us in this room, do we have a pattern of prayer in our lives? Maybe it's morning, noon, and evening. Maybe it's morning and evening. Maybe it's just one time a day that you stop what you're doing and pray. But I'm simply asking you, is there a pattern? Is there any kind of set rhythm in your life of stopping what you're doing at a certain time to be with your God and enjoy His presence? Uh, some people hear about Daniel praying three times a day, and that, that seems overwhelming to them. Uh, they say, I have so much to do. Surely I don't have time to stop and pray that often. But friends, the more you have to do, the more you need to pray, right? The more that God has put on your plate, the more you have to bring before him to ask for his blessing. As Martin Luther said, too busy to pray? I'm too busy not to pray. Mount Hermon, are we living our lives in dependence on God? Are we living our lives in dependence on his blessing? Are we living our lives in faith, calling on Him, trusting in Him to make our daily works eternally significant? Because without His blessing, 
Everything that we do that keeps us so busy will eventually drift away like vapor and be worth nothing. Frankly, we have plenty to pray about. But also notice the pattern within Daniel's pattern of prayer. Because he didn't just pray three times daily. He also prayed with a certain emphasis. Do you see the emphasis? Thanksgiving. We are told that he, quote, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Daniel was stopping three times a day to spend time with God and say, thank you. Three times a day to express gratitude to God for his blessings. I simply want to ask this, dear friend, how might your life be transformed if you were stopping three times a day to get on your knees before God and thank him for his goodness to you? How might that change the character of your day? What change might that make in your own soul and your own tendency to be impatient or irritable or angry if you're stopping three times a day to just thank God and count his blessings? Do you see how this would transform our minds, giving us an attitude of gratitude that would kill discontentment in us? Do you want to kill that nasty habit you have of always grumbling and complaining? Do you want to stop being that glass half-empty personality? Cultivate this practice. Learn to go to God each day and offer up specific prayers of thanks. Thank Him for His specific blessings and gifts. Tell Him why you are thankful. And even in the midst of trials and difficulties, go to God and thank Him for those trials. Let Him know why you're thankful. Oh God, this trial hurts in the moment, but I know you are a father who turns our trials into treasures. You are a God who uses these trials to grow your children in humility and kindness and perseverance. And so even though it hurts right now, oh God, thank you for this trial. Help me to learn the lesson of the trial. Help me to reap the benefit and produce the fruit. Thank you even for this. Dare to be a Daniel. Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, and that means a lot that we've talked about, but it includes this, dare to make this a pattern in your daily life, the pattern of stopping and thanking God. We're almost done, but we have to point out that Daniel was only an Old Testament shadow of a greater hero. Daniel has wicked men conspiring against him because of his faithfulness to the king. So also the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and was faithful to the Most High King, to his father, and wicked men conspired against him. They wanted to bring him down, the religious leaders whose sin was exposed by the holy living of Jesus just as the, the sin of these satraps was exposed by the integrity of Daniel, these religious leaders want to bring Jesus down. And rather than death by lion, it was death by cross. Like Daniel, Jesus had committed no true crime. He had simply been faithful to his God, the one and only true God. And yet as Jesus was crucified, it was the sins of his people that were placed on his shoulders. 
Jesus died so that all who would believe on him would be saved from the punishment they deserve. He took that judgment. He guaranteed that all who call on Christ in humility would be saved and would be with him forever. Through faith in Jesus, we are made right with God. Through faith in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit so that we can become an example to imitate, so that we can avoid the snares of of flattery and of hasty decision-making. Through through faith in Jesus, we're given the Spirit who prompts us to pray and prompts us to have gratitude towards God. Through faith in Jesus, we can sleep at night knowing that He will be with us even in our death and that He will bring us to heaven itself. Dear friends, if there is a person in this room who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and made it uh, public through baptism, and have begun to wear the name of Christ on you and declared, I am following Him. I simply want to call you. Will you come to Christ? Go to Him. Run to Him in prayer. Call on Him to save you. And then let it be known through baptism, church membership, and begin a life of following Him by hearing His Word, believing His Word, trusting in His Word, and obeying His Word. There is no better life than the life of walking with Christ. May God work through His Spirit to make His Word fruitful in us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.